I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder. The good and the not so good. The successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone. I'm telling you, you're all in for such a treat. My guest for today's episode is Jackie Mular, and Jackie is a dear friend, incredible colleague, and a beautiful, beautiful human being. Some of the things that we talk about is that when people are struggling with eating disorders, they are completely disconnected from their emotions. Our bodies are telling us, though, what is going on in the world and what is going on within ourselves through our emotions. So in order to understand things in life, to feel things, to navigate, you need to make peace with your emotions. Obviously, some emotions are uncomfortable. They're still there for a purpose, though. The other thing that Jackie talks about, which is so beautiful, is that she now turns to the things that got taken away from her while she was in her eating disorder. She turns to them now for healing. She turns to music. She turns to nature. She turns to people. She didn't do any of that in her eating disorder. She only turned to behaviors. Never, ever got what she truly needed, which was to be seen, to be held, to be understood, to be breathing. So all the things that she lost, gratefully, she now uses as she navigates through this life. We talk about so many things, including how we learn to embrace change in all forms. And it's necessary. Not all change is comfortable, but we have to learn to embrace it. And that's how Jackie developed her voice, was by embracing challenging changes. I think you're all going to love this. It is a really, really special episode. All right, everyone, let's get started. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. This is going to be a hard podcast for me to get through without giggling because I have the most beautiful soul who is staring across from me while we're doing this interview. We are going to be listening to Jackie Mular, who is a dietitian and an LMFT. So Jackie, welcome to the show. I love you so much. I can't even, this is just me. I just have to love you right now. I'm so excited to be here, Karen, and honored that you you brought me on. 
Yeah, you guys are are kind of just going to be like sort of flies on the wall of this love fest because Jackie and I have known each other forever and we haven't seen each other's faces in 11 freaking years. It's far too long. You feel the same to me. Like spiritually, we're the same still, right? Yeah. That soul to soul connection is what that is. Well, and you know what else that is? And we'll get into this. And I don't mean to be all cheesy, like that's recovery, but that's being recovered. That soul to soul connection, which I want to get into. But Jackie, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi. Okay. That's always hard for me. I'm so many things, you know? Um, So I, I say that because now I'm a mommy to cute little, my cute little boys and I'm a wife and you know, I'm a crazy cat lady, right? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> We're up to four. It's not okay. There's nothing okay about it. Um, but what I do uh, for my passion and work and living is I work with people um, who are healing their relationship with food, weight, body image, all the things. Started off as a dietitian many years ago. We're not going to count because we just don't do that anymore. <laughs> we just don't count. Um, and you know what? I started off as a dietitian, knew I wanted to do the eating disorder stuff because, well, we'll get there, but I struggled myself. And part of, I think, my journey as becoming a dietitian was in healing myself. Um, and worked at a treatment center where we met and it was, a, it was honestly, really, truly, it was a result of being in that environment, working with such great folks like yourself and so many. We had such a great little team at that time, really just rock stars, absolute rock stars. Um, it, it inspired me to go back to school. And that's what I did. I went back to school and I got my MFT and I have not looked back since. Um, it's been wonderful. It's, it's been a wonderful journey for me. It's so interesting. Just from that, there's so many things I want to say, which is I have had the, the luxury of being able to sit with some of the finest dietitians. What's with my words today, everyone? Dietitians, dietitians, you hands down being one of them. The thing that I've often noticed is dietitians walk a very fine line because half the time they're doing the therapy session. When I used to run treatment centers, you, all the other dietitians that we worked with, I it, it blows my mind that you're one of the few that is a dietitian and a licensed MFT because they are a match made in heaven. It's, it's so true. And I, I appreciate you saying that too, because I think, you know, I mean, Carolyn used to talk about how when she opened her center, she had to be both. She had to be all the things. And, and I do think that that line is so blurred, right? Um, between therapy and between, you know, dietitian who works in eating disorders. But I have to say, I have fond memories of you (laughs) at work (laughs) with a client. And I know, you know, who I'm talking about. You'll know exactly who it is. When I say you sitting on the couch with her, in the office going through her food journals. Do you remember this? And and you would she she could not bear to write it down and you would sit there transcribing it all down. And yes, and I know who you know. And and that was what you did. 
So it's like, you know, we all kind of in this field, I think we blur those lines a little bit, right? We wear a lot of those hats and um, cause that's something a dietitian would typically do. Right. But you, you actually took, I mean, it was like an hour you're doing this with her and it was really a rapport building soul connecting you know experience for her because she it was so hard for her to do that i know i i love that and i don't mean to be like tooting our own horns but i i love that you and i who we are organically and by how we were trained meet clients where they're at doesn't mean we don't push them doesn't mean we're not firm but still meet them where they're at. And sometimes, yeah, you need to sit down with them and write out their food journal for them. And that's okay. That's where they're at in the moment. Yeah, that one in particular, I remember that. I mean, it's, it's I, I'm sort of making light of it, but it was a BFD. It was a big fucking deal for this human to do that. Um, and oh my God, I'm even remembering her in group and how, she, I mean, she couldn't talk. She, she really couldn't share with the other clients and it was so hard for her, but she finally to that, towards the end of her stay, she got to this point where she would like take her little foot and like nudge the person next to her on the chair. It was like the most heartwarming thing. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it was like, it broke my heart. That's why I do the work. It broke my heart into pieces. Well, this is what I was saying when I was sort of being like, you know, soul to soul, you you only get there by being recovered. It is the ability to see the beauty in even the smallest steps, because you and I both know as people who are recovered, those small steps to others are huge to the person who is making it. And you and I would not be able to see each other spiritually if we were still in our eating disorders. Exactly. It looked like you were going to say something. No, I-, I, was ju- I was just agreeing with you that, that I hear that and those, those small little things need to be celebrated. And I bet this, this human would, would, honestly, I bet she remembers that. I, I do. I, I know she still, I know she still remembers us and I'll never, ever forget her. That's for sure. Um, and the other, I think really amazing thing about that is that we built such a good connection with her and, and we are sort of, you know, healing in those moments, in the food journal moments, who knew, right. Or in the portioning moments or in the, like, take one more bite moments, you know, we're using our relationship and our connection and that's what heals folks. That's, it's really that simple. Also allowing someone to be authentic and sitting with it. Meaning I know that when I was in my eating disorder, I I thought if anybody knew what was going on in my head, they they would commit me. If anybody knew what I thought was a challenging thing to do, they would laugh at me. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to say anything. And so part of the work is just seeing somebody for who they are and where they're at and saying, yeah, this is where we're at. Come on, let's do the work. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay to be where you're at. I don't expect for you to be, you know, any place different in this moment. Like I'm going to meet you right where you're at and, and I don't judge you. I don't judge you at all. 
You know, Jackie, one of the things that you wrote about in your paperwork was this sort of like aha moment where when you were working first as a dietitian and you were working in hospitals and you were noticing, and and correct me if I'm paraphrasing this incorrectly, you were noticing that that cancer patients or some patients were being put on these restrictive diets as quote unquote, part of their healing medicine. And it was actually making them start counting calories. Yeah. That, that, ugh. I, I kind of shudder when I remember those days, cause I really feel like I did harm to folks. Um, and you know, I, I had the training, I, I had the training as a dietitian. We used to say, all foods fit, but for a cardiac, it was actually cardiac patients, diabetes patients, they would have a major life event, like a heart attack, and they'd go through cardiac rehab, which is such a great program. But by the time I would meet with them, they had gotten so scared to eat food. It was like they had developed eating disorders. And I had to tell them, no, 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 you're going to be okay. It's okay for you to have fat in your diet. And it, it just really, that was when I hit the ground running with intuitive eating, you know, at at like at the hospital level. And yet what I was told to tell my patients was completely different, right? It was like, you're going to do these diet restrictions and, you know, we're going to monitor cholesterol and weight, of course. Right. And it didn't work. It made people sicker you know, psychologically, they become obsessed with food and their quality of life diminished. And as you know, like the latest research is really looking at, um, you know, social factors in our lives and how, how, you know, if we, if we're underprivileged, if we live in a marginalized, you know, situation or population, our health is, is truly diminished doesn't matter what foods you're eating, right? Like, I mean, that matters so minimally compared to your quality of life. So I learned that lesson early on and I left the hospital as a result, um, which is what I needed to do. Hello. I mean, I wanted to work in treatment. I always knew I did, uh, but that was really the thrust for me. One of the reasons also why I pointed this out is you and I are very similar, And by that, I mean, and again, I hate to be like, so I was going over your paperwork, but in your paperwork, you said, and I'm actually just going to, I'm actually going to read it. It's just a sentence that I was like, get the fuck out of here. And you said, I forgot to mention that I wasn't much of a talker. Okay. That's my insert. Okay. And then you said, everything existed in my internal, internal world. And rarely did I talk about what was going on with me because I had an internalized belief that vulnerability was weakness. There's a reason why I said that sentence. And there's a reason why I brought up what you did at the hospital is because I often think clients that are wherever they're at in the, in the trajectory of their therapy or treatment, they often feel, yeah, everybody else can do it, but that's not me. And Jackie, if you, you and I should be the poster child for people that when they were younger did not use their voice. I swear, I 
not only did I silence my voice, but I edited everything that came out of my mouth to what I thought I was supposed to say. By the way, you cannot shut me up now. People are like, for the love of it, can you just stop talking? I also know, Jackie, that's a little bit like you. And I say that as a compliment. Even your saying at the hospital, this is not working for me, was such a big moment in you using your voice and saying, I, I'm going to go with what works with my gut, what feels internally right, despite what I think the popular crowd is telling me to do. Oh, that's such a, that's such a therapist-y, um, great, excellent point. Because um, I don't know if you struggled. We, we've never really talked about our childhoods that much. But, you know, trusting that internal wisdom was not a thing I did. Right. I didn't have an internal compass. And so actually, you know, now that I'm reflecting on it, when my mom passed, I was 27 years old. She was my compass. And that's even at 27, when I was well into the, you know, I was in the field at that point. That's when I started to, to, to talk, to, to learn how to use my voice and taking a leap of faith from a stable nine to five job with the benefits and the 401k and moving into the treatment world was a huge leap for this human over here. And, um, you know, and I, I've, I've really never looked back. I've never regretted that decision. And it's a decision that you're right. You know, I, I wouldn't have made a, when I was like in the thick of compulsive exercise and not eating and B, just in, in my younger, in my youth, when I, I, I was afraid. I, di- I didn't even know I had a voice, to be quite honest. I really didn't. I didn't know how to use it. I, th- I think most people, regardless of what the eating disorder is, this is not just reflective of one or two, it's all eating disorders, either don't feel they have a voice, or if they do, they feel that whatever they have to say is wrong. And so they don't speak. Or I also want to say a third option is dangerous. Some, I think that's another thing. What I have to say could be dangerous to my psyche, my physical self, my whatever it is. I, and I only bring this up because I always want people that are listening, that are clients who keep saying, yeah, I'm that great person in group where I can give everybody else feedback, but none of it fits for me. We all felt that way when we were in our eating disorders, Jackie. When I read that and I was like, get out of here, Jackie Mular, <laughs> who I used to work with, go out to dinner with, hang out with. Jackie Mular at one point couldn't use her voice. And then I'm like, yeah, of course, of course she couldn't. Yeah. And then I figured it out and I can't shut it up. Hello. (laughs) People are like, tone it down, would you? (laughs) You know, that's the pendulum. I always tell my clients like assertive versus aggressive communication, you know, and like sometimes you swing over to that aggressive side when you're learning how, how to be assertive. And it's true when I, once I finally found my voice, I, you know, I have a hard time stifling it. It gets me in trouble. 
No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Do you know, and and I mean, this is a question that I don't even think I could answer in just one short sentence, but do you know what got you started to trusting your voice or even paying attention enough to say, wait a minute, I do have something that I'm feeling. Oh, geez. I, I don't think there was like an aha moment there. I do. I do. As I'm talking with you though, I do um, I relate it back to the death of my mom because I, I lost her and she was sort of my guidepost. And so, you know, they say all things happen for a reason. It was not my choice to lose my mommy when I was just 27. And I know there's probably lots of folks out there listening who've lost their moms at a younger age, but for me, it was devastating. And, and a huge part of my growth. I don't think I would have done half the things I wouldn't have developed my voice and, and I wouldn't have like probably learned to stand on my own little two feet. And, um, the other thing that goes along with that is you have to take those leaps of faith. You know, you have to like do that thing that you think may, it, it could be, you know, a, a horrible life altering decision, but it could also be like the best decision of your life and you just don't know which. And at some point you just have to try you just got to try. And so it was that. And then I think finding my home and such amazing folks like yourself in treatment, not, not just even like the staff, but the clients. I mean, my clients have shaped me. They've changed me. They, you know, they've made me who I am today, truthfully. And it continues to happen at my ripe old age, my middle age. I'm sorry, of what? I think you, I think you cut out there at what, what's the right building? <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to share that with the, the, the lovely listeners, but, um, you know, and that's a funny thing too, because you remember when Carolyn always used to talk about aging, like we would talk, I mean, so much, you know, in eating disorders is body image, body image, and, you know, having this perfect body. And then as you age, like all of us do it. And it's not even so much about my body changing, but it's the fact that I now have to take a break during the day to do physical therapy for my back <laughs> or the fact that like, I have to wear glasses now, <laughs> you know, it's not. These are not a fashion statement. No, it's no. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you saying? No, I just think it's funny because it's like, I, I guess that's another thing I try to share with my clients is like, sort of like, let's learn how to embrace change in all its forms. And I know it's not easy. I know that I speak from a lot of privilege in my life. I really, I truly recognize that, but, but change is inevitable. And if we can learn how to sort of weather the storm of change in in our, in our lives, wow, it can be transforming. And this is coming from somebody who like, you know, come on, I lived in LA for like 20 years in the same place. I could not leave my neighbors, even though like when I had twins, we twins and three cats in like 900 square feet. It doesn't work. No, just doesn't. Um, but I loved my, my neighborhood and my, my little, my little community so much. Yeah. Yeah. Jackie, I remember that home. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Tiny. You know, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I feel like I grew up in the field working with recovered clinicians and dietitians. Didn't know any different. Thought everybody talked about it. Wasn't until I moved back to the East Coast that people were like, we don't really talk about that here. I'm like, 
what? And I've said this a thousand times, you don't have to have had an eating disorder to be a phenomenal eating disorder specialist. But what do you think, like, what do you think is unique or special when a client does find a recovered eating disorder therapist or dietitian? Yeah, I, I mean, because, you know, we've, we've worked in, in treatment forever and you would, you would see the, the staff that didn't have the experience of, of having an eating disorder and the staff that did. And come on, like Kowalski, like we all know like these, these like therapists and dietitians who are like phenomenal at their job and, and who didn't have eating disorders, who, who still rocked it, you know? So I have that experience, but I do, you know, like even in group today, I was sharing with the clients. I don't even know how the heck it came up, but it came up because I like to talk, you know, um, a little about my, my journey. And it's like all, everybody stops. They look at you, they have immediate connection and eye contact. And, and I think like an inherent sense of trust is built in that, like knowing, Oh, wow she gets it. And I, I feel bad saying that Karen, because like, like I said, I've known so many great therapists now at this point who have not ever had an issue who have still been able in probably even better ways, been able to reach clients. Seriously. You referred to, we call her Kowalski for the rest of the world. It's Anna Kowalski. Anna was on here and she's not, she's never had an eating disorder. And I bow down to her. She's a badass. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it does feel like it comes just back to that connection though. Um, who knows if it's like pheromones, I don't know, hormones, <laughs> like what connects us to people, but uh, there's a something in it that's, that I, I do feel is, is really special when I can go, oh, ah, I remember exactly that feeling. You're bringing it up in my body right now. Like, and it's just to me now when, I, when I'm sitting with a client and they're saying something that I did back in the day, I have like a visceral reaction in my body. You know, and it used to feel so right. And now it's just like, oh, I don't want that there anymore. I don't want that there. And I don't know about you, but I use that in the session. I say, I am feeling this in my body right now. And let me tell you something. It does not feel good. I remember when it felt great. I love the body. Listen, and Carolyn, wow, three Carolyn references. What's going on? Well, here? you know, we both trained under Carolyn for years, so it would be odd if we didn't. Right. <laughs> she is, um, yeah, she, she's my huge mentor. Right. So, but she did, she taught me how to use the body. And now, um, I've done some, some further training, um, in somatic kind of sensory motor trauma training. And it is all about looking at the body, tracking the body, the minute moves, even like how you hold yourself is, is, you know, exemplary of the life you've lived. So it, I absolutely bring the body in. It's, it's powerful, right? Let me, let me flip it around though. And this is a a definite flip. Do you ever get triggered when you're sitting with a client and something comes up and you think, even, even if you feel it badly in your body, do you ever get triggered though? Or just a thought? Well, yeah. And, and I know you asked that in one of your questions and I would say in the olden days, yeah, I did because I think I wasn't, you know, 
I wasn't as far as removed from my eating disorder as I would have liked to think. You know, like you said, we kind of grew up in this field. And while I was no longer acting out in behaviors, there were still little pings, little ping pongs that I would go, oh, that didn't feel good, you know? Um, it doesn't happen now. It doesn't happen now. It, other things happen. Other things happen to me on a visceral level, I think, um, that like more, I would say, like grief things, you know, little other things that I think I'm still in the process of kind of healing from or like mom things. I, the mom stuff is always like, Oh God, you know, just give me all the moms in the world. I swear to you, Karen, I, I will heal them all. And I mean, cause sometimes my, my staff will come and they'll be like, Jax, please, we have this mom, she's doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, come on, she's a mama. She's caring for her kid, you know, and I feel it in my body. Um, so less trigger eating disorder wise, more trigger for like, I think the things that I'm a little less, less far removed from now, which is motherhood and aging, you know, losing parents, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that's because we're human first, therapist second. Um, I gave a talk at a conference about that. And it's as humans, we do feel, we feel these things. Um, but as recovered people, people, we know how to sit with it or honor it or navigate through it or appropriately put it in a box on the shelf until we can come back to it. How do you deal with these underlying issues now that you're, you don't use your eating disorder? Because I would have used my eating disorder. Oh, for sure. Well, I process now. And as you said, I talk. I talk a lot. <laughs> um, but I do the things, honestly, I do the things in my life that my, that my eating disorder, disordered eating disordered. It was for me, it was really more about exercise, um, first, but I do the things that they took away from me. So I, I listen to my music. I sing, I play with my children. I go out in nature, like in back in the olden days, I would only go out in nature to exercise, but now I'm like, this forest bathing is a thing, man. And I mean, I live in Oregon. Hello. It's so beautiful here. I grew up in Montana. Hello. Like I, I've been so fortunate to see like the, mo I feel like the most beautiful places on the earth and I connect to it it's just really on a visceral soul level. So I do those things that, that I didn't do when I was in it. I also, I'm in therapy, right? Like I, I'm in constant like observation and curiosity about my behavior. I question everything. I have a wonderful husband partner that also PS loves to talk. He actually talks more than I do just for the record. I also want to say PS. I love your husband more than anybody in the world. And I really miss him. I know. Oh, I love him so much. I know. And he loves you too. It's the cutest. <laughs> But you got it, you know, it's like going back to the basics, right? Like it's doing the things that you love. And, you know, we've all met those clients and have those clients who don't feel the love or they don't have the connections. And, you know, Carolyn also used to say this too. I keep doing it, but it's like, we want to show them 
how great this life can be. And she always used to say, didn't she used to say, or maybe you said it, I, now I'm not even remembering, like nobody goes too recovered and goes, oh, I want to go back now. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Hell no, no way. That was a prison for me. That was complete silence for me. It was isolation. It was sadness. It was grief. It was all the, it wasn't a good time. Trust me. Yeah. I've never met a recovered person who regrets being recovered. And by the way, that doesn't mean life is fantastic all the time, which is one of the main points of this podcast. It's about life happens and are you allowing yourself to feel everything? Feel the really good. Feel the really heartbreaking. Feel neutral because that's important as well. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to bring something up that's difficult, but Jackie, you and I have both lost our fathers. And um, I'm not, I'm not, ignoring your mom. I didn't mean to say it like that, but I'm I'm just saying from from our experiences together. And I say there was no eating disorder behavior in the world that was going to stop my father from dying. But as a recovered human being, I got to sit with my family and cry and reflect and laugh and hold my dad's hand when he was scared and do all these it happens life happens do you want to be in it or not and the other thing is is there's nothing externally that is going to change it me sitting through the grief of watching my father in the last few months of his life I had to feel it from the internal. There was no diet pill that was going to change it. There was no diamond ring that was going to change it. No new car, nothing. It all had to be me being inside and being in relationship with my family and friends of ours. And that's also what I was thinking of when you said you love nature. We can't buy happiness. We can't buy inner peace. We can't buy confidence. There is no eating disorder behavior in the world that is going to bring you sustainable confidence, true confidence. Oh, I'm so much more confident now than I ever was back then, you know, and, and my body, by the way, has changed. Oh my God. You know, it has changed. And guess what? Like that, that is one thing I think I, I, I think is a myth is that you can't be happy in a recovered body. Do you know, uh, that was something that used to really scare me. And now like, you know, I see like this whole fad of fitness, like that's, that was my thing was fitness. That's what got me into a really disordered relationship with food and myself and all the things. And now I see it and I just feel sorry for folks. I'm like going, damn, I, I just, that if that's all you got, I'm sorry, you know, cause your body is just one part of you. You know, it's like, I have so many other parts that I just, I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful for. And, and I totally agree with you, you know, sitting in, in the loss and the grief, you know, I think back in the day, in the silenced days and in the days where I probably would have gone for a run rather than sit at my mom's bedside or sit at dad's bedside. Cause it was too painful 
you know, my husband, my brother, and myself during COVID got to go in and be with my father as he took his final breaths. And we made it as beautiful as we possibly could have, you know, and did it hurt? Oh, fuck. <laughs> did it hurt? <laughs> like ripped my, I'm, I'm still in that process because this was June. This was June 10th. So this is still fresh. Um, you know, but that, that pain, it, it's like an honoring to such a great human, to this relationship that I talk to the, my clients about all the time, this relationship with your parents, whether it's good or bad. And I recognize there's trauma. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. I did not have that in my life. I had a great relationship with my parents. Um, but that relationship is so quintessential. It's something that is with you for the rest of your humanness. And you, you grapple with it and you try to figure it out. And if you're a parent, you might even make the same mistakes as your parents, but like you don't run away from it, right? You know, you stay in the pain and, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you about it right now. I, I'm, I'm on the verge of tears, right? I feel it. I feel it in my stomach. I feel it in my chest. I could go there. I could so go there with you right now, but I'm not going to. It's like you said, I'm paying attention to to my body. I'm monitoring myself. And right now I'm doing a little compartmentalizing. And I know that at the end of the day, I'm probably going to go home and I might have a little, I might have a little cry in the tub tonight with a little glass of wine. Who knows? Um, By the way, that's the best image of you. <laughs> right, right down to the crying, the tub, the bubbles, the wine, and the tears. That is, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to make light of your pain, no, but I, I just- I just like, know you. I know. And by the way, I usually have to lock the door so the children don't come in. <laughs> so there's that too. Um, but it is funny because I used to hide from pain and I used to hide from every damn emotion, really, truthfully, if it wasn't happiness. And even then, I think I was so afraid to embrace happiness. Um, I was a little dark soul. You know, I was a little dark cloud. Uh, I Well, I don't want to even say that. Like, I just embraced... I have a penchant for um, maybe those like harder emotions, you know, uh, I feel them pretty deeply. And I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way. I think all of our, have you ever actually, I'll just say this, Carla McLaren, have you read Language of Emotions? If you haven't, do it. I have not. Okay. It's, it's life-changing and I, I use it with like all of my clients, but it's, it's learning how to use our emotions as messengers. You know how we used to do the angel cards and body and soul and everything and like really looking for those messages in our lives. And here I, I just, we got the best thing. It's our bodies telling us like what's going on in the world and in ourselves and our emotions, like our body actually feels our emotions before our, our brain, our prefrontal cortex knows what it is. And so plugging into that stuff is so great. It doesn't pathologize emotions. So that's why I'm saying like, listen, I know I'm an anxious human. <laughs> I can be a little paranoid and a little depressive. Now I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty joyful too, though. Did you hear what you just said though? I'm joyful too. And the reason why I said that is because Clients say, I don't want to feel anger. I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel sadness. And when they do that, that also means they don't feel joy, laughter, warmth in their heart. Like you can't just pick and choose what emotions you want to feel. 
So that's why you, when you said, and I also feel this too, of course, because now you allow yourself to feel a range of emotions. And I always say to my clients, they're like, oh, I wish I wasn't feeling this right now. And I say, thank God you're feeling whatever quote unquote this is, because this feeling could save your life. Meaning if we didn't feel fear, we would run out in the middle of the street and not realize cars were coming. If we didn't feel anxiety, we might do something impulsively. If we didn't feel joy, we might not smile. Like, yes, are um, all emotions comfortable? No. Are they necessary? Absolutely. And when I was in my eating disorder, I did not feel one emotion. I played the parts though. I would sit there out with people laughing and smiling. I I have no idea how I was able to do it because I I was not there cognitively. That actually I love that. That's you bring up such a great point and one that I've come to realize you know is that I was suffering and nobody was the wiser. You know, my body did not change drastically. You know, that's why we don't, we can't look at the body, you know, size, like, come on, we can't, we can't use that as a barometer, but I was so troubled and I was so, um, imprisoned by my thoughts and, and nobody would have known because I did the same thing. I did the same thing that you did. I put on a show. I once, I'll never forget this. I was, I, I don't know, I was in college and I got really angry at a friend and she said to me, holy shit, I must have really pushed too far because you are never angry. And inside, all I could think of was, I'm angry all the time. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of it. So you never see it. It, it was such a moment for me where I, I can remember where I was standing on the street. I remember what I was wearing. I remember the shock when she said, you are never angry. And instantly thinking all the time, I'm an angry person. And wasn't that like, I mean, honestly, that, that to me feels like a light bulb moment because what are you projecting? You know, when we talk about the fourfold way and we always say like, show up, pay attention. How are you showing up? Are, like, you know, is what's going on in your head and heart, like, are you congruent with that? Is that what you're projecting? And for you and I both to not like project what we were feeling. And, and I would say too, it's so funny about anger because anger was my primary emotion back then. That was the only one I could really, really feel. Um, but for us to, to not, you know, nobody to be the wiser, didn't that give you that turn of like, of incongruence. I'm acting incongruent. I'm not acting in alignment with my values. Like, how could I be so disconnected? I think at that moment, I'd never felt lonelier in my life. I think it was the first time my body felt hollow. And what I realized now was my soul. Like I, you know, I didn't have the term back then. I never felt hollow from my eating disorder. It was from everything else. And I just suddenly felt like, oh my God, I'm in this alone and I'm empty. And I also remember feeling 
thinking, I'm tired. I'm really tired. And that friend walked away, went on with their life. I probably went home and took laxatives. I'm sure I had no other way of handling that hollow loneliness, but to use a behavior. Yeah. I wish that could have been the light bulb moment the or the aha moment. You know, one of the things that I had asked you about is did you, in your paperwork is, did you ever notice a poignant shift in the recovery or, or was it gradual? Most people and everybody is different. Some people are like, oh yeah, I know the exact day and time. I don't. It was very gradual. What was it like for you? Same. Yeah. Same, same. You alluded to it. Um, super gradual. Uh, happened over the course of probably many years, really, when I think about it. Um, and I still feel like I'm on that journey, not not from recovery from an eating disorder, but just like human journey, right? You know what I mean? Like, I've really made peace with my anxiety, which I think fueled the disordered relationship with exercise um, and and eating. I've I've learned how to manage it, right? But there are other things that I'm still growing in. You know, I can be a bit impulsive. I can be, you know, uh, there's certain things that I, I'm still working on. And, and so I just feel like for me, it was, um, it wasn't a light bulb moment. There were no light bulbs. That's another message, which is regardless of the eating disorder, clients often think, I will finally get to a place where there is no more suffering. There is no more work to be done on myself. I have quote unquote arrived. And that couldn't be more opposite as recovered people like you and I, and this is, I'm actually going to speak for myself. I know one of the reasons why I know that I'm fully recovered is because I had no idea I wasn't fully recovered after for many years. Like I didn't get it that I was still living in the mindset, the rigidity, the low self-esteem. I felt like I was an imposter, but I wasn't using behaviors and I was going out with my friends. And so I thought, poof, I'm recovered. I didn't realize how much work. And when you said you're still working on yourself, that's because you're recovered. And you and I know we never stop working on ourselves ever. No. Right. There's no end goal. Yeah. yeah. But there is with an eating disorder because we're trying to get to some magic finish line, which is if I binge and purge enough, I'll forget about my trauma. If I restrict enough, I'll forget about the fact that I don't have confidence. If I binge enough, whatever it is, and, and it never happens. So you need more of it and more of it and more of it. It's true. Right. It's so true. Yeah. No, I love that. That's, that's, uh, that's just, I mean, it's a poignant way of, of really expressing that. And, um, you know, we've, I've worked with a lot of clients over the year who are sort of waiting for that epiphany or the light bulb. And like you said, I've, I've known a few of them who've had it, but by and large, it's like, Ooh, you know, it's God, it's, it's not for me. It was just not that process. And, and every step of my journey now is like, I just want to be a good human, right? Like I want to be a good human. I want to give back to the world that I live in. Um, and I, I lead sort of, I, I lead with, I try to lead with integrity and love. And those are my goals. Like, whereas before I never would have said that, are you kidding me? It was just, no, 
And I still am, you know, a little, I can be a little rigid at times that like some of those traits are still there. Right. Um, and I work on them. Like that's, that's just part of who I am. Like I said, I'm an anxious human. There's also some traits that I accept that that's who I am and I don't need to work on them. Like I am a very, like, just as an example, and this has been my entire life. You can walk into my home or my office at any moment and it looks like it's ready to be shown. People are like, are you like doing an open house? I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is just the way I am. I know that about myself. It is okay because it doesn't harm me. It doesn't, it doesn't stop me from leaving the house. Like, it's something that I say, this is who I am. And I don't even need to work on that. There's a million other things to work on, but it's partially part of being recovered is accepting that these are parts of me that this is who I am. This is just me. That's why I keep saying, yeah, I'm just an anxious human. And I know that about myself now. Whereas before, I think I really used all the things, the food, the exercise, all of it to just mitigate, push down, to not accept and now I'm like, hey, this is me. This is just who I am. You're gonna. Some people are gonna like it. Some people aren't. I'm okay with that. Guess what? I'm cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm cool with it. Yeah, you are. the The reason, though, why you're cool with it, I'm so fucking fantastic. You know, all these things is because everything else has been. Mm, how do I say this? When I was really insecure. And, and, you know, didn't think that I fit in. I would have been embarrassed about my neurosis about things being in place in my house. I would have been embarrassed about it, but I grew all those other parts of self. So I know that I'm more than that one snapshot image of what someone's going to think. If someone walks in my house and goes, oh my God, Karen is really off the charts anal with her. But the thing is, is they know all other parts of me. I finally know I'm multidimensional. And that's okay. Some parts, ah, not that great. Other parts, fantastic. Other parts, just neutral. In an eating disorder, every moment is the defining moment. Wow. That's such a good point. It's so true, isn't it? You just place so much emphasis and weight on it. And it's like, you can't move away from that thought. Wow. You know, Jackie, I, I, first of all, I just love you more than anything in the world. And I could do this for hours, but in the best interests of the listeners, we are going to start winding down. I do have one final question for you, which has nothing to do with eating disorders. But before I ask that, is there anything that you would like to say or that I didn't ask or anything at all? Um, boy, we've, talked about a lot, but I, I think right now, the one thing that is most prevalent with me, um, is just really like you, you know, using my privilege for good. And, um, you know, I, I've been, since I've actually moved to Portland, I've really, you know, had some grief over a lot of white fragility and doing all the things that you, that we do when we, when we're confronted with our privilege. And I, I do just want to recognize that, you know, there's so many folks out there right now who are struggling, so many folks who don't have access to care and who are really marginalized and really up against it. And 
I, I think that we can do better, you know, I think that we can do better as humans, as therapists, as treatment, you know, like we have to do better for the folks out there. And, um, it's, it's something that that's like my new thing that I think I'm really sitting with these days is, you know, not just, not just talking the talk, but, but trying to walk the walk. And I think that for me, it's really just started with a lot of like deep immersion in, in education and, um, educating myself and trying to educate those around me. But that's, that's, that's a one, that's a biggie right now for me. Well, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful path that you're on. It's something we should all be on. Hopefully we're all doing it. So, all right, Jackie Mular, I have one final question for you. I'm scared. I love it how people get scared. I'm like, you, you picked this out on the paperwork. Oh, oh no. Shoot. All right, Jackie. If someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? Oh my God. I, I did pick that one. I think that I, that was late at night with, with maybe a, a little glass of wine in my What would they say? I feel like you should answer that question. No. Um, what would they say? What did I write? I don't even remember. You didn't write anything. You didn't. Okay. I just have to know this. I just have to know what they would say about me. It's so hard for me to talk about myself like this. Um, uh, that I'm a quirky badass. I hope somebody would write that about me. You know what? It's taken me many years to embrace my quirky and I'm there and I'm chill with it. So there it is. Uh, yeah, you are. And I know because I worked right alongside you. So you were right there with me. You are quirky badass. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, I want to thank you, sweetheart. Oh my gosh. My heart is so big right now. And just the fact that I get to see your beautiful face just makes us all even the better for me. So thank you for being on the show. I love you so much. I will do anything to see your beautiful face again. So much love. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. I look forward to talking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. To wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody. Be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week. <laughs>